Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, wherever you may be, it may be evening, morning, glad to have you here. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. I apologize for the uh, technical difficulties, but it shows that the, the people of God are very patient, very long-suffering. So thank you for your patience. And we've, there's always a way around the difficulties if we just persevere and endure. So the title of my message is the Passover Atonement Connection, and uh, the Holy Days are here upon us again, the fall Holy Days as well. They come around every year, and we read in Leviticus 23, we repeat that every year. I won't go through each one of them, uh, but I want to focus on how Passover and Atonement tie together uh, through uh, the entire plan of God. Uh, it shows the importance of keeping the Holy Days every year for our benefit and our remembrance. There's uh, Passover, we'll just list them, Passover, unleavened bread, Pentecost, of course, the way sheep offering in there is very important, picturing Christ, trumpets, the return of Christ, atonement, putting Satan out, Feast of Tabernacles, and the last great day. Now, all of these, all of these Holy Days are important to us, to the plan of God, and have a very important meaning for us. They picture again, the family of God coming together, God having a family. Um, that's, that's the whole purpose of our existence. The plan of God points that out and the holy days are the key to that. Each one, these are personal, personal days for us as we're called. And also they have a great meaning to the rest of the world. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to make it. And so they have an individual, personal meaning to each one of us. Now, as we have God's love and we grow in that and we sigh and cry for the abominations that happen around us, when we care for one another and we look out and we have empathy and sympathy for the world, we pray for them. But these days have a personal, individual meaning for us. And we're going to focus on that. They are appointed times where God places his presence in them. And they are holy, appointed times. They're also called solemn, solemn, very serious and solemn days that we are to picture and to keep. Um, and they're to be remembered, every one of them. God calls them Sabbaths. They're the Sabbaths. And he talks about in Exodus 20 to remember the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, but also remember each and every one of those days. That's why we repeat them. We repeat them. He wants us to know. The plan of God and repeat it. We have a tendency to forget as humans, and we have to be reminded. So it's time for the fall holy days coming up. Uh, trumpets is the 26th of September, October the 5th, Wednesday, 2022 is atonement. It seems to get lost sometimes in the other days. Atonement, sometimes we just come up to it and go on, we pass and we go on. But it's very important, a very significant meaning for that day. And God wants us to be very serious about it and keeping it properly. Without atonement, well, let's do it this way. Without Passover, there's no atonement. If Christ didn't come and, and live a sinless life and die as our sacrifice, then Satan would continue. But since he did, and he is our sacrifice for our sins, then, and he also 
uh, we'll see, he confronted Satan and he qualified to replace Satan, then atonement can come and Christ can replace, capture Satan, put it, bind him, as we'll read, and place him in the abyss. Of the, and uh, uh, he can be out of uh, the effect that Satan has to the world. And that is something that we all look forward to. We all need this world will be a different place without Satan in it. You know, it's just almost impossible to think about what it would be with the uh, the difficulties and the sufferings and the uh, afflictions that, that happen to us on a daily basis. But there is a purpose for that. There is a benefit. It's not fun going through them when we go through them, but uh, there is an, an ultimate benefit of perfecting and drawing us closer to God. And that's really what atonement does. So without atonement, there's no tabernacles. And there's no last great day because Satan would still be around. So Christ's sacrifice for sin in the Passover and atonement, these two reconcile us to God for the forgiveness of sin and the replacing of the person, the individual that's responsible for sin, who brought sin into the world. He's the responsible one. And we'll see that in the two goats. That's why each and every element of in Leviticus 23 and Leviticus 16 is very important. We are to keep them with uh, reverence and, and forethought with a, a solemn attitude. So a little bit of facts about um, atonement. It's also called, you know, the world has pretty much forgotten atonement, except for the Jews. They have the day called Yom Kippur. It's a day of atonement. It's regarded as the holiest day of the year in the Jewish religion. It's a fast day. It's a day picturing the repentance of sin and the reconciliation of all mankind back to God through Christ. And then Satan being put out. Those two connect. We're going to see that the fast and afflicting our souls is extremely important to reconciliation. Very important. It's critical to keep correctly the Day of Atonement. Okay, again, I'm going to drive us home. Atonement and Passover together are intermittently linked in re reconciliation and the overall importance of God's plan for mankind. Without those days, there'd be no family. We would not be able to be forgiven of our sins reconciled. Christ makes the ultimate fulfill, fulfillment of atonement possible, putting away Satan, removing the obstacle and the hindrance to our relationship with God. The word atonement in the Old Covenant, Old Testament, it means covering. And we'll talk about what it means in the, the New Covenant here. Atonement is a concept, if you think about this, it's a concept of a person taking action to correctly to correct a previous wrongdoing on their part or directly an action to undo a consequence that has happened. Now, that, that can be done and, and Christ can do that when he puts Satan out as well. So, again, what I want to talk about today is the connection between Passover and atonement. It's all about reconciliation. So why affliction? You know, we talk about afflicting our soul. 
That's personal. That's individual. Why? And we just talked to Nancy's going through a lot of trouble right now and affliction. Uh, she's handling it very well, doing a good job. God is working with her through that affliction. And the end result of that, all things work for the good of those who believe in God. Romans 8, 28. We would normally read and, and, and talk about the scriptures in the context of Passover. We think Passover, and that is very, very important. We normally think of Passover in terms of being reconciled to God, which is true. Passover and the Day of Atonement, again, they are bound in that both of them involve reconciliation. Atonement answers the and has the solution to problems not resolved by Passover. Passover is personal in nature, providing reconciliation of each one of us individually back to God and the beginning of unity with man in the church with Christ in that family relationship with our elder brother and our, the king of kings, Jesus Christ, and the, our father, the almighty God. It is through Passover that we learn the price of redemption and reconciliation, okay, through Jesus Christ. Atonement has a more universal, uh, is more universal in nature and provides reconciliation for the world to God, also uh, each one of us individually. So it has a more far-reaching. We've always said that Passover, Unleavened Bread, and Pentecost are the church for the church era if you will. And then after that, in the fall holy days, which we're coming up on, uh, trumpets, atonement, feast of tabernacles, and the last great day, picture the world coming in, the rest of the world, bringing the rest of the world in. All of mankind being at one with God. And each one through their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. After Satan is defeated through the Passover and Matthew 4. Where Christ qualified, he faced Satan and he won that, if you will, that encounter. He defeated Satan and qualified to replace Satan. And it's just like David. When David was anointed by Samuel, it wasn't, it was seven years before he was actually inaugurated or became king. He had seven years before, and it's kind of like the same thing with Christ. Christ qualified to be the king of kings, the God that rules this everything, and replace the God of this world, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He defeated Satan. The Passover shows that. Satan was not able to defeat him. But it's still free to work out his uh, nefarious schemes and to pr produce confusion and division right now, as well as rebellion against God. He's still running around. Atonement shows that Satan will be defeated and punished and put in ban and banished. The angel comes and, and puts him in chains, and he's no longer free to do anything to mankind. Uh, he'll be released again at the end of the millennium. If you just will make a note of 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, 17 through 21, just take a look at that. We won't go there. But it is a, uh, it, it points out the cost of reconciliation. 
it's which is vital to God's purpose. Again, it's a major portion of our desire to obey God comes from the sense of obligation to God. God loved us first, and we love him. And as, as the story I told the, of the individual that said why they didn't do something, why they weren't uh, out doing what the rest of their friends were doing, is because they said, I love my parents. My parents love me, and I don't want to do anything to hurt them. So there was a sense of love and obligation to their parents, the same way we do when God loves us and does things for us and Christ. It's an appreciation for how much they he paid for us to be free, to have that liberty and that freedom and that eternal life and our sins done away with. Just like atonement is going to put the person, the individual that's responsible for the sin coming into the world, put, put them away. We will never feel this unless we begin to understand that this was done for us individually. And if only one person had ever sinned in all of God's creation, it still would have taken the life of the creator, a sinless life of the creator in the flesh to get him, get us that individual free from the wages of sin. So we see in uh, Romans 3:23 and 6:23. He did it for us. And it's easy for us to uh, not focus on that. But we've escaped death. Death was our, our punishment for sin. The individual that brought sin into the world in the first place was Satan. And Satan will be held accountable on atonement. And we picture that every year. He did it for mankind, but he did it for us too. I'm going to keep bringing that. This is a very personal, somber, serious individual holy day that we keep but we also remember that it pictures the world as well this is the path that a person has to take in his thinking to recognize the cost that was made for us to come to a sense of obligation or love for the father and jesus christ and for others we ought to respond if only out of thanks for what he did we owe our lives to him People have been willing to give everything to someone to say that who's maybe they've saved their life from drowning or snatched them out of, you know, from a speeding automobile or a crash or something or some other kind of death. We would be uh, thankful and willing to give our lives for that or pay uh, a great price. But at Passover, we, re we, we rehearsed that understanding that Jesus Christ saved us individually by his life. And our acceptance of that sacrifice and our repentance of the sins and turning around and going through the process of baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit, and then living a life uh, in line with the commandments and loving God and loving others. Matthew 22 talks about that. The truth of God's plan is hidden from the world. The truth about atonement is well hidden from the world. In Colossians, Colossians 1.26, it says that Paul tells us that even the mystery, he calls it a mystery that has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. So we have the opportunity through the Holy Spirit and the calling 
to understand this marvelous plan for sal uh, salvation and the plan of mankind and what God has planned for them, become part of the family of God. So if you think about where it came, where sin came, you know, we can go back through the fact that in the beginning, you can go to Isaiah 14 and uh, Ezekiel 28, and it talks about Satan ascending to the, the throne and trying to overthrow God and God throwing him back down to the earth. The earth was then in turmoil. It was Tohu and Bohu, Genesis 1.1. It talks about it being without form and void. Well, it was because of a, a war that took place. And then in the beginning, God began to refurbish, if you will, or remodel or redo <laughs> the earth and make it habitable for man. And then in Genesis 2, he created, he created man. And then shortly after that woman, and he put in the, in the garden two trees and he told them, he gave them choice. He gave them choice. Free moral agency. They can choose. He wouldn't, he'll never take that away from you. He wants you to want to be in the family. He doesn't want Satan. He doesn't want a lot of Satans running around and be miserable for the rest of their lives eternally. But he told them not to take of the tree in the garden. He gave them a command, the tree of life, don't do that. So they didn't until Genesis 3.1. The serpent entered in, says, now the serpent was more cunning than any other creature of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, is it true? And this is the way Satan works. Is it true that God said, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He was setting her up. He's spinning the truth. And the woman said to the serpent, we may freely eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has indeed said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, she had it down pretty well. She knew what she was supposed to do. But she listened, and emotion entered in. And the serpent said to the woman, in dying, you shall not surely die. And there's where the immortal soul comes in. God knows that in the day that you eat of it, then your eyes shall be opened, as we heard last night. And you shall be like God, deciding to know, to ascertain by observing and experiment, experimenting good and evil. You make your own choice. But I tell you, he's saying, I tell you what the way to abundant life and the way to eternal life is to obey me. I know it's good for you. But if you don't, you choose your own way, then sin lies at the door and death is the result of that. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasing to the eye and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate it. And she also gave it to her husband and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves and together and made coverings for themselves. And they, then they hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Then Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Sometimes, you know, in a a young child will have done something wrong. They hide from their parents. They knew they had done wrong. And the parent, God, the father, he calls in Christ, calls to Adam and says to him, where are you? He said, I hear, heard you walking in the garden and I was afraid because I'm naked. So I hid myself. 
And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, the woman you gave me with, with me. She gave me the tree and I ate, always passing the buck. Everybody point to the left. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. Again, pointing somewhere else. And I ate it. And the Lord God said to the serpent, and he was the one responsible, because you have done this, you are cursed above all livestock and above every animal of the field, and you shall go upon your belly, and you shall eat dust of all, all the days of your life. Now, here is the first indication of the connection between uh, Passover and atonement. I will put enmity between you, Satan, between you and the woman. Between your seed and her seed, Christ, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And Christ was killed. Satan was able to kill him, but God the Father resurrected him. So he wasn't able to kill him. And, you know, he thought he had, done, had, had gotten rid of Christ. And ever since then, he has tried to thwart the plan of God. He is the one who brought sin into the world. And here's the first indication that we need a savior, Passover, and that Satan would be put away, atonement. First connection. So let's look at Leviticus 23, 27, and let's look at where it talks about the day of atonement. We don't have, in this sermon, we can't go through Passover. <laughs> we, we know that pretty well. Let's go through atonement and, and sort out the things it says. And, and get a little bit more detail on the Day of Atonement, why it's so important, why it's so critical, and why each element is so critical. And it, it applies to us individually as well as to the world. But we're still here. We're still physical. We need to keep these days and to remember them. And even though it doesn't say specifically to remember atonement, it is a Sabbath of the Lord. It's one of the Sabbaths. And he talks to that in many, many places. Um, um, I'll just note a couple for you. Exodus 28, in the uh, where it talks about the Sabbath, weekly Sabbath, to remember it. Uh, Exodus, remember the the days. The, the that is a holy day. Um, the covenant between God and earth. Even he says, remember, remember the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances. And we'll see that atonement is referred to as a statute. So it is something to be remembered. It's not something that just because he says it's not in, in, in this section, these whole days, all this package is to be remembered for us. It's important for us and it's important for the world. And the day of atonement has not come yet. And we're still looking toward the fulfillment of that day. It has a lot to do with us personally as we live our lives as well. He says on the 10th day of this month, Leviticus 23, 27, is a day of atonement. It shall be holy, a holy convocation to you, and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And I'll just read straight through this. 28 says, and you shall do no work in that day, that same day, for it is the day of atonement in order to make an atonement for you before the Lord, your God. Personal. God made us personally with his hand. He made us 
focused on is personally. He wants a personal relationship. And this day and all these holy days are personal. For whoever is not afflicted, very important, in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. We'll talk about what that does in the relationship to atonement. And whoever, whosoever, or whoever does any work in that same day, the same one I will destroy from among his people. This is serious. This is a serious day. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling. It shall be to you a Sabbath of rest. You see the you see how he refers back to Sabbath. Remember Sabbath of rest. These are Sabbaths, holy days. We remember all of them. And you shall afflict yourselves in the ninth day of the month at sundown or sunset from sunset to sunset. You shall keep the Sabbath. Okay, we're going to go through that here in a minute. Atonement, again, it, it, it pictures Satan's removal. The fast, which is critical and personal as our part, as we take part in these events, these, these uh, specific things he tells us. God wants us to totally focus on this pivotal day and his appointed fast day, his appointed feast which had to do with what he had done, has done, and what he's going to do. So let's look at the instructions in 2327 Leviticus. Number one, it says, it shall be a holy convocation to you. Holy. What makes something holy? Hagios. It's God's presence in that day. God's presence in anything makes it holy atonement refers to the sacrifice that jesus christ made in order to reconcile all that had sinned everyone has sinned all have sinned reconcile them to a god who is holy and first peter 1 6 16 says first peter 1 16 verse let's start 15 but accordingly as he who has called you is holy you yourselves also be holy in all your conduct. Now, how is that possible? It's possible, made possible through giving of the Holy Spirit, bringing the Holy Spirit to us on the day of Pentecost, and us accepting that and our part in the sin and looking for reconciliation, owning the fact that we are sinners and we sin and we need Jesus Christ. We need that sacrifice. Then as we receive that Holy Spirit, we become holy. But he also says now that you have it, be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, you be holy because I am holy. So God's presence in that day and in us makes us holy. You don't think of yourself as that way, but there's an earnest down payment and as you, <laughs> that is in you that is holy. And you shall afflict your soul. And you shall afflict your soul. For whoever is not afflicted, this is the importance of afflicting your soul. Whoever is not afflicted in that same day shall be cut off from among his people. Now, this is personal. This affliction is for you. So that you, there's, you know, it's tied into fasting. And fasting and work 
are tied together as well, as we'll see in a minute. Okay. The fast, which is afflicting your soul, which is when we go through the scriptures, I think we probably can make a good case for that, of course. The fast, which is critical and personal, has to do with no work. There's a reason for that. He wants us to think about what we're doing. You don't work on that day. You fast, you draw close, and you focus to God, who gave you everything, who made you, who you owe everything to. Without him, you're nothing. You put it out the work, and specifically and emphatically linked to atonement because of its significance to both God and his people personally and to Jesus Christ and the removal of Satan. No work is to be done by us. We are incapable of ourselves of overcoming Satan and overcoming the sin by ourselves. We need God. We need his Holy Spirit. And we need the sacrifice. And we need Satan out of the picture. That's what unleavened bread is about. All the work that is done by Christ today, or as our sacrifice, and now today, beside Jesus Christ, uh, the Father at the throne, as the high priest and the offering. He's both the high priest and the offering for sin, a perfect offering, in which he personally offered himself in the crucifixion, you know, when he was crucified and the removal of Satan in the future. He's involved in both of those. The purpose for the fast is putting our total reliance and our trust and our faith and our hope and our love in him who is everything and as elders we are to preach Christ and him crucified second corinthians 2 2 that's what paul preached that's the main that's our that's everything we preach the truth we love the truth we have a love for the truth and it should it should come out of us you should obviously see it and you should be part of, it should be part of you. And everything you say should be the truth. It should be ba based in scripture. So we fast. There's some reasons why we fast in addition through the year, but also on this day to intercede for other people. Because we're showing our love, the God, God has in us that love, that agape love. We intercede for people. We don't want anyone to fail, anyone to be perished, just as God, God does. So we love people. We love them, everyone, our neighbors and those in the body of Christ, the household of God. Repentance. We fast because we need to change. We need that repentance. We know how we receive that through Christ's sacrifice and, and reconciliation. Then we fast to keep God's way. That we don't go back. We go forward. And we ask for help. When we fast, we need help. We need to ask him to continue to help us along the way. And he will if we draw close to him and we draw close to him through afflicting our souls. We ask for spiritual deliverance. That's what the day of unleavened bread pictures, the deliverance. And we're going to be delivered from Satan on atonement. These themes run throughout the plan of God through the holy days. And healing, physical and spiritual healing. 
Isaiah 61. That's what that pictures. Us personally and in the world. As Isaiah 58, 6 says, Isaiah 58, 6, talking about the fast and what it does and what a good true fast does. And the reason for us personally to do that, we are all sinned. We've all, we can go through the scriptures on that, but we've all fell short. We all fall short. Isaiah 58, 6 says, is not this rather, and he talks about the wrong kind of a fast. But then he says, is not this rather the fast I have chosen to loosen the bands of wickedness in you and around the world and undo the heavy burdens that we have and the world has and to let the oppressed ones go free? And we are all oppressed in other ways, a lot of ways. Our sin oppresses us. Sin in the world oppresses though everyone. And that you break every yoke. Is it not to give your bread to the hungry? And Christ talks about that. As, you, as you've done it to the one of these little ones, you've done it unto me. As you see things in, the, in your life as you go through, that's what you do. Out of love and concern, you give them. And bread can be physical and bread can be spiritual. You give it to the hungry. And that you should bring home the wandering poor. When you will you when will you see the naked and cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Verse eight. Then shall your light, and that's another sermon, a full and several sermons on the light breaking out as the dawn, and that is your the Holy Spirit leading you, guiding you, doing good, Christ in you, the truth motivating you to do good and to do right and do good works. Those works that come from God, not ourselves. God has shown through those as we live our lives accordingly. As the dawn and your health shall spring out quickly and your righteousness. Now, this is the righteousness of Christ in you shall go before you. And the, and God will back you up. God will have your back. He'll be your rear guard. He's there to, to help you. He, his hand helps you. He's there. And every time you ask for something. He's right there. Every time you need something, he's right there. As long as you're with him. And that's what fasting and affliction does. Afflicting our soul draws us close to God, shows us that we need it, and shows us where our power and strength and and sustenance and provision comes from. We can't do it ourselves. We can do nothing of our own. Christ said that. Here he was, God in the flesh. Verse 9, then you shall call. And the Lord shall answer. You shall cry. And he shall say. Here I am. If you take the yoke away from among you. And the pointing of the finger and the speaking malice and that we can go into that. That's. <laughs> what humble, what affliction does is it humbles us. It makes us contrite. It makes us yielding and submissive and obedient. And knowing that we're nothing. And then we don't elevate and raise ourselves up and think we're something great and we're better than everyone else. And then we know more than everyone else. And then we're more intelligent. And somehow God looks down on us and we're better than anyone else. No, we're just the opposite. So Daniel gives us an example of a fast 
talk about this because afflicting our souls has been a question in atonement. Why do we do that? What is it called? What well, it's not really, you know, it's not for us, etc. Daniel's fast to bring his purpose was to bring reconciliation for sin to God. In other words, the sin that he, that the nation and himself had found themselves in. Daniel knew that we need a needed reconciliation and to bring everlasting righteousness. Daniel 9, verse 24. Daniel 9, verse 24. Daniel began a fast and he said, I set my face toward the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting. They go together. They're one, they're a package. And sackcloth, this humility and ashes. Verse 23, at the beginning of your your supplication, the word went out, and I have come to declare it, for you are greatly beloved, and we all are. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Then he talks about the 70 weeks uh, prophecy are decreed upon the people and upon your holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sin, to make an end of sin. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up the vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most high. The most holy. And um, there's a lot to be said in it. That was the purpose of that fast. And of course it was answered. And will be answered in its household prophetic. Isaiah 57, 14 tells us another uh, dimension of fasting. And he shall say, Isaiah 57, 14, cast up, cast up, prepare the way. Take the stumbling block, the sin out of the way of my people. Take Satan out of the way of my people. That's us now. And that's in the future. And that's it's going to be a millennial. A millennial event that that has repercussions throughout the millennium until Satan is loosed again and he's finally put away, put in the lake of fire. 15, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, even with the one who is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. That's what afflicting and fasting, prayer and supplication does, drawing close to him. He dwells with us. You know, and then you can go to uh, Psalm 15. It talks about who will dwell on the mountain of the Lord. Who will be there? Go there into uh, Psalm 15 and read that. There's another example of a fast. And I'm re- I made reference to it earlier. Matthew 4, Luke 4, Deuteronomy 8, 3 talks about man shall not live by bread alone. But prior to that, he was, Christ went into the wilderness. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to fast in preparation for dealing with Satan, the confrontation, the most important battle in history of all the battles that have taken place. This was a spiritual battle 
of mind and will and spirit. And he had to prepare for it the same way we do. We need to prepare through fasting. Remember that that Satan is still here and he needs to be put away. And to do that and get serious about it and our part in it, our part in it is to prepare to be king, sons and daughters and kings and priests in the, in, the, in the family of God, to help usher in that millennial setting, to bring the kingdom of God back and established, to help the rest of the world. When we do that, we have to prepare, don't we? We have to be there. And that's when we're physical, and that's what needs to be done. So he says, Jesus was led up into the wilderness by the Spirit in order to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was famished. And he said, the first temptation was stones to bread. I won't read through these. That was self-perpetuation. He said, so, you know, if, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And then the next one was cast yourself down from the holy city. You went up on the temple and he said, if, you know, he's not going to let your feet. The angels are going to catch you and God won't let you be hurt. Self-preservation. Then the third one. All the kingdoms of the world and their glory can be yours. Self-determination. All the things that Satan uses to tempt us today in different degrees, Christ went through. And at the end, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. Now, how can we do that? How can we draw close and do that? The Day of Atonement is so very important. To, re to remember Christ's sacrifice and the purpose, to be encouraged that even though we make a mistake, he's there to forgive us if we repent and draw close to him and worship the Lord and serve him. Then the devil left him. And you think about 1 Peter 5, or yeah, 5, 8, and right in there it says, resist the devil. He left him and behold, angels came and administered him. Fasting gives us the power from God because we're drawing close, we're looking to him, and he, he reacts to that. He responds to that. Power from God to, to fight against Satan and resist him. The, Christ was qualified to replace Satan, and we become qualified through Christ and our Father, through our actions and our heart and repentance and fasting. To become kings, kings and priests along with, under Christ and the Father. But he qualified to be king of kings and lord of lords. To replace a, a Satan and to bind him and remove him from causing mankind to be separated from God because of sin. Uh, Isaiah 59.2 says, your sins have separated you from me. And I've hid my face from you because of the sin. Then it says the next thing, and to make an offering made by fire to, to the Lord. When we're in this, in this uh, frame of mind, we want to thank God and give him an offering and give him what we have, give him everything that we have because he's given it to us. We love him. And it says by fire, we can go into that. Then it says no work. And you shall do no work in that same day. 
And whatever does, whoever does any work in that same day, this is how important this is, the same one I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. So you're going to be destroyed and you're going to be cast out and put away, put out, away from, just as Satan was. If you continue, if we continue in that frame of mind and don't recognize the Passover atonement connection and the value of it and the purpose of it for us personally. God does not want us to do any work on that day. It's his day. He's in that day and he calls it, calls us into that day. And he wants us to be serious about what that day represents. We stand still. When you're working, you're not standing still, are you? Just like Israel stood still, Moses said, stand still and see the power and the glory of God. He's going to take care of the Egyptian army that's coming at us, Satan that's coming at us. Just stand still and see his salvation as Moses and the Israelites did when the, they divided the Red Sea and there was a way of escape. And God is going to give us a way of escape. He's not going to put anything in front of us that we can't bear. And he's always there to care for us and to save us and to, and, and to give us that deliverance. Then he says, and it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Now, this is pretty, pretty. Uh, it says that about uh, uh, the Sabbath as well. Perpetual, perpetual. But look at he calls it a statute. And we can go through the scriptures that talk about remembering. Remembering the day, the commandments, the law, the statutes. In Deuteronomy 8, it talks about that. We'll, we'll go there. Deuteronomy 8, read the whole chapter. But it's referred to as a statute. Some people say, you don't have to remember it. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, it is. Forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. That's pretty permanent. It shall be to you a Sabbath of rest. A Sabbath of rest. Atonement? A Sabbath? Yeah. Each and every one of the holy days. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember God's Sabbath and God's holy days. Why? You afflict yourself. You afflict your soul. In the ninth day of the month, at sunset, from sunset to sunset, shall you keep your Sabbath. So these are all requirements for us to do on that day. And they picture, they have great meaning. The Day of Atonement pictures are ties in with Passover throughout mankind, throughout the plan of God for mankind. Atonement is personal. It's between you and God. We don't keep it for someone else. We don't fast for someone else. Now, we do love everyone. We do care about them. We want all, just as God does. We want everyone there. And as we see difficulties and things in front of us, God puts people in front of us. We care for them. We do what we can. But it's personal. It's between you and God. And don't keep it for someone else. This is a personal relationship. At one mint, atonement, at one mint with God. It refers to the condition of being one with God and with others, even in the in the family of God, because they have God's Holy Spirit and they are holy as well. When you shake someone's hand who is in the church or in the family of God, you're saying hello and you're 
um, fellowshipping with Jesus Christ and God the Father. Atonement is from the uh, Middle English word atone or attune, and it means at one, to be in harmony. And right before Christ left, right after the Passover, right before he left in John 17 and John 17, 11 and 21, 21, he said that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, <clears throat> that they also may be one in us in order that the world may believe that you did send me. Now, see how he, he brings that personal and then he tells it to the world. It's all tied into Passover and atonement. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. One, all of us, one. For you were bought with a price through that sacrifice, through the blood, through the stripes. All that, that Christ went through for us. A perfect, sinless sacrifice in the flesh. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And it says, um, and in your spirit, which are God's. They're not your own. But we want to do our own thing. We want to think of it our own way. We want to put our own ideas and opinions on these holy days. That's not what we're supposed to do. We are we are one with God. We are purchased and we are his. And he tells us what's best for us, how out of love, he tells us what to do. We don't change that. John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. And we are one, as we saw in John 7, 17, 11, and 21. Okay, we draw close to God through fasting and personal introspection, introspection, meditation, thinking about it through prayer, drawing close to God on that day. We acknowledge our dependence on God. We recognize who is ultimately responsible for sin entering into the world, Satan. And on atonement, we look forward to the appointed time when Satan will be chained and locked up. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and by means of sin came death, and in this way, Death passed into unto all men, all mankind. And it is for this reason that all have sinned. Romans, and I referenced these, so we'll just go ahead and read them. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but are being justified freely by his love and his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. That's how. Through that. Passover sacrifice that redeems us and reconciles us. Atonement does the same thing in that it gets rid of the problem, the obstacle and the stumbling block and the cause of sin in, the, in our lives and in the world and leaves us open and free to be redeemed and re reconciled and brought back to Christ. What a wonderful time. And I think what we need to think and meditate on that, what that's going to be like. Wages of sin, it says, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So we've all died. <laughs> we're all dead in our sins. 
if it weren't for God and Jesus Christ. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, Passover and atonement are necessary steps to redemption and salvation from that death penalty. The very important, and it's a wonderful message for us and for the world. We've been given the opportunity to understand that right now. I don't know why. He's called us and given us that and opened our minds and let us see. He has a purpose for us. We're to be preparing to serve and to help. We're to serve and help right now in preparation for that day when the rest of the world will come and we'll help them. And then the last great day, all that have lived will be there to help them as well, to love them and care for them. But we have to focus on these days that he puts before us, Passover and atonement and all the others, repentance and forgiveness of our sins, acceptance of the blood of Christ, Drawing close to God through prayer and fasting. We've been separated from God by Satan. And our sins and Satan will will be defeated and removed. Again, Isaiah 59.2. It says, uh, your iniquities have come between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. But through Christ, that open door. That opportunity to go to the Holy of Holies and have our sins forgiven, go before the high priest and that sacrifice, both high priest and sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who is our advocate. He goes and advocates our case before God because he's been there. He's the mediator, our advocate. Satan is responsible for sin entering the world and be dealt with in atonement. Uh, quickly, I want to go over the two goats because the two goats have been uh, kind of, uh, uh, they're not really important. They don't have anything to do with, they don't have that much to do with atonement. And, you know, Satan's only mentioned a couple times, so he really doesn't have anything either. That is not what God wants us to focus on. Leviticus 16.7 gives us another uh, s- ceremony that was done on the Day of Atonement. I won't go through it all. But just to note the two goats, and and they're presented before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle and the congregation and goes through the ritual of, of what the priests take do. But in verse 5, Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for Azazel. Now, Satan's not mentioned, but you know what Azazel means is a scapegoat. And it refers to the goat used for sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it represents Satan. Okay, so he is mentioned there. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it for the sin sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement upon it and send it away into the wilderness for Azazel. And then 15, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering. Christ was killed, was sacrificed, he was crucified. That is for the people. Personal, it's for you. And bring its blood inside the veil. And he shall do with the blood as he did with the blood of the young bull. And remember, the life is in the blood. 
and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And 16, and he shall make an atonement for the sanctuary because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because their transgressions in all their sins. Same thing with us. And Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over him all the sins of the children of Israel and all the transgression in all their sins and put them on the head of the goat and shall send it by way of a hand of a chosen man. It's a King James says a fit man, chosen man into the wilderness. And a goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities to a land in which no one lives. And he shall let the goat go into the wilderness. Picturing Satan. Okay. Has a lot. Goat that is sanctified for the people is Christ. Romans 5, 8. But God commands his own love to us because when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, therefore, having been justified now by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his own son, much more than having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the reconciliation. The live goat that is let loose into the wilderness represents Satan. Revelation 20, 1 through 3 says, Then I saw an angel descending from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he took hold of the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Then he cast him into the abyss and locked him up and sealed the abyss over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were fulfilled. And after that, it's ordained that he be loosed for a short time. When we, you know, Fred a couple sermons on Gog and Magog and, and, and uh, at that time, what's going to happen. So Satan's fate, um, also let's, let's read Revelation 2, verse 7 through 10. It says, now when the thousand years have been completed, Satan, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and he shall go out and to deceive the nations that are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, of whom the number is as the sands of the sea, to gather them together for war. He's not done He's still outworking the deceit and the the destruction of God's plan. Then I saw them go up upon the breadth of the earth and encircle the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And this doesn't, doesn't go well for him. The fire came down from God out of heaven and consumed them. In the end of uh, Hebrews 12, I think it's 29 says God is a consuming fire. Um, he burns up sin. He burns up evil. And the Holy Spirit within us burns up sin within us if we allow it to. And to, it says to stir up that spirit, to, you know, to stoke the flames of that spirit so that sin, we can overcome that sin and place it where it needs to be. And the devil who has deceived, who has deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet had been cast. 
and they, Satan and the demons, shall be torn, tormented day and night into the ages of eternity. Okay. So, again, we are we are uh, the plan of God. In Romans eight fourteen, we are the uh, we are the sons of God. We're led by the Spirit. Um, not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but you've received the spirit of sonship, where we call out Abba Father, reconciled to Him. The Spirit itself bears witness conjointly with our own spirit, testifying that we are the children of God. And if we are children, we are also heirs, truly heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer together with him, afflict our souls so that we may also be glorified. See the purpose? The glorified together with him. Very important. This all took place from the foundation of the world. This was his plan. Uh, Ephesians 1. Yeah, let's go ahead and read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly things with Christ. Accordingly, as he has personally chosen us for himself before the foundation of the world. Now think about that. In order that we might be holy and blameless before him in love. And that can't happen as long as sin abounds and sin is here. But Christ makes a way for that. He's predestinated us for sonship to himself through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us objects of his grace in the beloved son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the remission of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he has made to abound toward us, uh, Romans 5, 5, toward us in all wisdom and intelligence, having made known to us, this is the beauty of this, this is amazing, the mystery, he's not made it known to anyone else, he's made it known to a few, the mystery of his own will, according to his good pleasure, that's what he chose to do, which he purposed in himself. And in that divine plan for the fulfilling of times, he might bring all things together in Christ. You know, I think about uh, Acts 3, 21, the restitution of all things, even the earth, both the things in heaven and the things upon the earth. Yes, in him in whom we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose who is working out all things according to the counsel of his own will, that we might be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. That's what fasting does. And drawing close to him and trusting him in everything we do and say and all every deed and word that we do, we trust in him. In whom you also trusted after hearing the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after believing, and I see the steps there, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. It's a down payment. It shows that we are part of the family if we continue the course and endure. Until when? Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of this glory. Okay. 
So we can go through all the, you know, the, the things that uh, pertain to Satan. You know, he's a liar. He's, he's a father of, of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning. He's still running around. There's still a need for atonement. He doesn't want us to understand the importance. He doesn't want us to keep these days properly. He wants us to water them down. And God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to know the truth and know it and do it and earnestly do it with a clean, clean heart and a sincere heart seeking him. But Satan would minimize the true meaning of atonement and Passover if he could. And he will, you know, and he has attacks on, on those days. The 1415 controversy. Christ didn't come in the flesh. He was just a teacher, not the Messiah. I know he's a good teacher. All those water it down. I've even heard that he was a brother to Satan, who was Lucifer. He was his brother. You know, all those are denying Christ. Atonement. There's no Satan. He doesn't exist. Why do we need atonement? Uh, for what? I don't sin. I don't have any sin. I'm, okay. I'm pretty good. The two goats aren't important. It's not necessary for us personally, but rather for the world. It's not for us. It's for the world. Fasting is not for us. It's for others. That's, those are watering down the real meaning of atonement that God wants us to understand, the truth. We're commanded to seek the truth and to teach it, to be on guard. Galatians 1.6 says, I'm astonished. I'm astonished. You know, it's time for us to uh, put on the armor of God and be tough and be serious about this. Be vigilant, be a watchman, be watching. I'm astonished that you are so quickly being turned away from him who called you to what? To the grace of Christ, to a different gospel, which is really not another gospel. We're hearing a different gospel. It's not really not another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and are desiring to pervert the gospel of Christ. But if we, or even an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel to you that is contrary to what we have preached, let him be accursed. Very important that we all know the truth, preach it, and stay close to it and do it. As we have said before, also now I say again, if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to what you have received, let him be accursed. Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, be walking in him. Be rooted up and built up in him and being confirmed in the faith. Exact, exactly as you were taught. You know, and ask for discernment of the spirit. And when you hear something and, and it, something doesn't sound right, ding, that spirit will direct you exactly as you were taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Be on guard so that no one takes you captive through philosophies, through intelligent reasoning and philosophies. You know, I've, I've got new truth here. This is new truth. And vain deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the elements of the world, and not according to Christ. This is serious stuff. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. And there's a simplicity in Christ, who is the head of all principality and power. He tells us in Peter 5.8, I won't go there. Satan goes around as a roaring lion, seeking who he could devour, resist him. 
resist him. Second Corinthians tells us that in three, be, but I fear lest by any means the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. He's still at work. So your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Christ's truth is simple. It's basic. And once you have God's Holy Spirit and you obey the things you learn, it becomes very basic and simple. Some people might want to make it difficult and complex. It's not. It's simple. For indeed, if someone comes preaching another Jesus whom you did not preach, or you receive a different spirit which you did not receive, or a different gospel which you did not accept, you put up with it. You put up with it as it as as something good. But I consider myself in no way inferior to those highly exalted so-called apostles. Now, who exalted them? They did. 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers who are transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Oh, that's good. Oh, he's sounding wonderful. Oh, he cares for us. He's so good. He, he, you know, he wants to do everything for us. And he's a wonderful person, an angel of light. That's who Satan looks like. The Pope. Watch the Pope sometime. <laughs> Sounds good. Therefore, it is no great thing if his servants also transform themselves as ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. It's very, very uh, serious that we speak the truth. Simply put, the word of atonement means reconciliation. Satan is the cause of sin in the world and will be punished for his deception in the world. Okay? So I haven't been watching the time, but I think I'm pretty much, pretty much out of it. Atonement is the work Christ did in his life and death to make salvation possible to mankind upon repentance and belief in Christ and his sacrifice, blood and salvation. Okay, we can we understand what Passover Passover is about. But this was planned before the foundation of the world. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation, Revelation 13. Christ now has entered into the holy place. Hebrews 9, 27, made by human hand, not made by human hands, which are mere copies of the truth. Rather, he has entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. You and me personally, individually, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, love and care for the world, but work out your own salvation so you can be there with him in the family to help and serve. Not that he should offer himself many times, even as a high priest entered into the Holy of Holies year by year with the blood of others. For then it would have been necessary for him to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now, once for all, one time for everyone, for all, all, all time, in the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested for the purpose of removing sin. See the connection? through his sacrifice of himself. 
And then it says, and as much as is appointed unto all men wants to die, after this, the judgment. We're all going to die. But in hope, we have, we're looking for that city. We're looking for that relationship with God, that reconciliation with the Father, to become sons and daughters and sons with him in the, in the kingdom. In doing so, he triumphed over Satan and the demons and their hold that they have on mankind. It makes it possible to be redeemed back to God and purchased by his blood. Okay, not the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, he entered once into the holiest, making by himself secured everlasting redemption for us. That's Hebrews 9, 12. All right, so I'm going to go on down here to the end of this. I think I'm pretty much out of time. Um. I'm sorry for beating this and repeating it over and over and over, but I hope you see the connection uh, between the two days. Let's go to a couple last scriptures. Galatians 1, 4. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. I don't. Th I think what we really need to stop and think about that and what he's done and what it what it does, what it results in. It's according to the will of our Father and God. He gave himself for our sins, and he paid the penalty and provided an atonement. Now, if that is not a connection, there isn't another scripture that is. In Isaiah 53, 11, it talks about Christ and his prophecies about his being slain. The prophet wrote, by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. He poured out himself unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He didn't sin, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. The purpose of Jesus' death could not be any clearer. The message resounds throughout the old and the new. He died in our place to provide an atonement and forgiveness and payment for the penalty of sins. Revelation 17, 14. These will make war with the Lamb. Okay, picturing the time in the future. These. Who are these? Psalm 15. Who will be there? These will make war with the Lamb, but the Lamb shall overcome them. Now, that is the world that fights against him. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him, that's those that I'm referring to, that are with him, are called and chosen and faithful. They remain to the end. They endure to the end. They suffer through the afflictions. They afflict their souls and they suffer through and they fast and they draw close to God. And they realize that Satan is the reason for sin. And that when we do sin, we have an, a, a, a savior and a sacrifice. And through the blood, we have an atonement. This atonement, we can see the importance. This day of atonement, we can see the importance and the connection that the day of atonement has with us and with Christ. Now and in the future and the whole world. So let's be there as a called chosen and faithful with Christ our Savior 
and Passover and King of Kings.